I love this family. I love their music. I tell you, they minister the life of God to me every time I hear them. I don't know how many times I've helped myself, helped my soul, walking through the house, singing, Be not afraid, for it is I in the fourth watch of the night. And if you heard me sing it, you'd love Brother Aaron even more than you do already. I want to promise you that. But I do sing it to myself as I'm going. The fourth watch, that's late, Lord. Why are you so late? That's all right. His timing is perfect, right? He shows up right on time. Hallelujah. I'm going to speak to you this evening from the book of Philippians chapter 2. If you have a copy of the Bible with you tonight, I hope you do. In a Bible conference, that's a good tool to have, right? So good to be here to be a part of this. Brother Charles, thank you for the privilege beyond words to be a part of this august company. And I mean that in the bottom of my heart. I can't believe I'm here. And I'm just delighted that I'm a part of it. And I thank you for the privilege. And I'm grateful that the Lord has touched you physically and raised you up, brother. I'll tell you, he's the hardest working preacher I've ever met in my life. I don't know anybody like him. I really don't. I, I don't know anybody that can do what he does. And uh, I'm just, I stand in awe of him all the time, get under conviction every time he tells me what he's been doing. I just think about his every Sunday agenda, and I feel like a backslider. I can't believe it. I'm honest. Brother Herb, so good to see you and your precious wife. Looking so forward to hearing you preach the word tonight. I came up here, I'm pastoring now, and so you who pastor know yesterday was my day in my pulpit with my people, and I had that on my heart, the labor of preparing to preach for my folks, and I thought I had you know, something tucked away for this conference. Now, one thing I miss about evangelism is I used to could preach a message, brother, till I got it polished to a shine. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it wasn't a one and done. I had 50 times if I wanted to to preach that thing until I got it just the way I wanted it. And so I thought I'd pull out one of those sweet spots, you know, that I mean, I'd shined it up and I knew. But the Holy Spirit just really pressed my heart to speak to you tonight from this passage of Scripture, Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read beginning in verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state, that is your condition. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your condition, for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him that as a son with the Father he hath served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. You may remember Paul was in prison at the time he wrote this. He didn't know what the future held for him. Verse 25, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger... And he that ministered to my wants, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. That's a very real statement, isn't it? I love that in the Bible. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, 
not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. In the verses I've just read, two men are presented as examples of honorable Christian character. Timothy, Timotheus, as he's rendered in the King James Version, Timothy, in verses 19 to 23, Paul's protege, a preacher uh, uh, that uh, Paul himself trained and a pastor of churches. And then a man by the name of Epaphroditus in the end of the chapter, verses 25 to verse 30, a messenger to Paul from the Philippian congregation. According to the word of God in verse 29, believers such as these men are to be held in reputation, literally in high regard. Honor men like this, the Bible says. Esteem them, consider them to be valuable, prize them as precious gifts from the Father. Apparently, one of the things I see in this text, apparently there is a way in which it's okay to honor those who honor the Lord. There is a way that's appropriate to give due regard and spiritual respect to those Christians who turn it all right back to the Lord by their attitudes and by their actions. I know that often in church today we are hesitant to give any commendation to men. We don't want to brag on anybody even in the context of the church because we don't want to ever encourage self-promotion or the, the, the idolization of men, the worship of men, the idolizing of men. But surely the Word of God teaches in this text that there's a time when it's appropriate to say, well done, brother, you're getting it right. That's the way it ought to be done. You're doing the thing that God wants you. Paul called out these men by name. He said, Timothy and Epaphroditus, these brothers, folk, now this is what I'm talking about, Paul said. This is what I've been teaching you and preaching you, walking around in shoe leather. These men are getting it right, and you ought to hold them in high regard. One translation of the Bible says, welcome him with Christian love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. Now, when you take these verses together, which I'm going to do tonight, the things that are said of these two Christians form a wonderful study of the kinds of things that are to be highly esteemed among the members of the family of God. What does the Holy Ghost have to say about what would make a Christian a precious child of God, deserving of praise and recognition, deserving of being cherished and prized by the church? The scripture uses the same root word found in our text, high regard or reputation. The same word is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2 where the Bible talks about being a vessel unto honor as opposed to a vessel unto dishonor. I don't mind telling you tonight I want to live in such a way that I can be known and classified as a vessel unto honor. Literally, a prized vessel, a valuable vessel in the great house of God. Now, what would that demand of me? What would it require of me to be that kind of Christian? Three things stand out from the verses I've read to you tonight that I want to share with you. First of all, to be someone who should be held in reputation. I must be focused on the good of the church. Focused on the good of the church. Verse 20, Paul said of Timothy, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for your spiritual condition. Do you hear how start? I'm telling you, when I began to study this text, I was blown away. Paul said, of all the preachers that I know, the only one that I feel I can fully trust with you, Philippian Christians, is this young man, Timothy. 
of all the men of God that I have fellowship with, this is the only one that I'm aware of who really genuinely cares for the condition of the church more than anything else in the world. What a commendation for Timothy, but what a rebuke to so many others. Imagine that. No one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. One translation says, another says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Can you imagine how many Christians Paul knew? You imagine how many church leaders Paul had communion with? How many preachers in the long years of his service to the gospel and in the gospel? Now, I will say this, to be fair to the translation, to fair with the Word of God, he wasn't necessarily speaking of every Christian he'd ever met or known. He was speaking of those available to him at the time to travel to Philippi. But still, you must, you'd have to say, there must have been many in his immediate sphere of fellowship at that time. The point here is that Paul discerned in this young man, Timothy, a heart that truly, genuinely cared about the welfare of the church of God more than he cared about personal prestige or power or promotion or profit. We need a great awakening in America. We need a great revival. But I'll tell you what we need a revival of most. We need a revival of a spirit of ministry that genuinely cares about the welfare of the church above my own personal agenda and my own personal interest. The church is on hard times in this country. And it's being, it's being exhibited so by the COVID-19 situation. The church is in hard times. For many people, even some of the most faithful people, the God's honest truth is church is looked on as a necessary evil. I have to go to church to be right with God, so I will. But if the God's honest truth was known, and I've heard this said many a time and said it myself on occasion, if I could be right with God and not have anything else to do with church, I'd do it. Just get so tired of church, tired of religion, tired of the mess, tired of the, right? You, you said that, I've said that, you felt that at times. It's me and Jesus that got our own thing going. Now, I know the Bible says forsake not the assembling, so I got to go. I got to be there. I'm going to have to be a part of it. But Paul said, Timothy stands out from all the Christians around me in that he honest to God cares for the church, that the church would be what God wants her to be. He has a burden for the church. We, may, we need to see a generation of preachers raised up and teachers and church workers raised up who are eaten up with a burden for the good of the souls of men and the edification of the body of Christ. Hebrews 13, 17 talks about the pastor like this. It says, they watch for your souls. Men who watch for your souls. The word translated watch in that text literally means to be sleepless. It means they lose sleep because they're so concerned and so diligently invested, so passionately interested in the welfare of the people of God. Great A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite men of God of yesterday, A.W. Tozer said, as a Christian minister, I have no right to preach to people I've not prayed for. That's my strong conviction, he said. I have no right to preach to people I have not prayed for. So much of Christian service and ministry today is seemingly about what's in it for me. And if men don't give me the notice, the praise, the appreciation that I think I'll deserve, brother, I'll drop it like a hot brick and walk away without a backward glance. The reason Paul felt free to praise Timothy 
was because he knew Timothy wasn't in it for the praise he could get out of it. Timothy wasn't trying to build a kingdom for himself. Timothy really cared only about what would better the church of God and build up the people of God, and he was motivated by something other than personal gain. His service to Christ wasn't a career move. It wasn't a profit venture. It wasn't a glamour hunt. It literally was all about Ephesians 4.12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Can you imagine that once upon a time there was a church that refused the pulpit to John the Apostle? Man who wrote the Gospel of John, man who wrote the epistles of John, man who had the encounter with Jesus face to face on the Isle of Patmos. He was going to come preach, and he said, Diotrephes wouldn't receive us because he loveth to have the preeminence among the brethren. He wasn't going to let somebody in his pulpit that make him look bad. It was about him. He wasn't going to let John have a chance to speak to his people. Jeremiah chapter 23, Woe unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. Ye have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doing, saith the Lord. And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries whither I have driven them. I will bring them again to their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them. I've said, Lord, let me be one of those. I want to be in that bunch. God said, I love my people so much, I'm going to give them shepherds that will care about them and pour themselves into them. Ezekiel 34, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Against the shepherds? What about against the, the, the whoremongers? <laughs> what about, yeah, that too, but the, the shepherds need a word too. Prophesy son of man, against the shepherds, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be unto the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Ye eat the fat, and ye clothe ye with the wool. Ye kill them that are fed, but ye feed not the flock. Children of God, servants of Christ, our burden should be for people. Our aim must be to serve Jesus by serving his body, serving his people. Jesus said one day a, a judgment's going to be arraigned and I'm going to say, come ye blessed of my father. I was hungry, you fed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was in prison, you visited me. Lord, when, how? As much as you've done it unto the least of one of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. I don't have any way to bless Jesus. I don't, physically, I mean physically. I don't have any way to get to him. I don't have any way to, to help him in any kind. But when I help others, when I invest myself in the people of God, I am literally doing it to Jesus. It's incredible thought, isn't it? Child of God, servant of Christ, our burden should be for people. Now I realize you say, but Timothy was a preacher. That has nothing to do with me. I'm not called to preach. I know there are some here tonight who do not share that specific call of ministry, that specific assignment of ministry. But first of all, foremost, Timothy was a child of God, and he was a member of the body of Christ. And as such, he stands for what all the members of the body of Christ should be because every Christian has a ministry. Here was a Christian brother Let's just say he's a brother in Christ who was focused only 
and always on the welfare of the church rather than his own personal interest. He wasn't wrapped up in pettiness. He didn't have an ego that had to be constantly stroked. He didn't have to have somebody constantly encourage and pump him up to keep him going. He just wanted to see God's people grow and be edified so that Jesus could be glorified among them as he ought to be. Timothy was sincerely concerned about what would benefit the body of Christ. And if I'm going to be the kind of Christian that the Lord would say, hold him in high regard, I've got to be, I've got to be focused on the good of the church. Rugged individualism is the American way, but rugged individualism leads to a weakened and a carnal church. The Bible teaches that we're all part of each other. Each one of us, just one member in something much larger than we are. And I'm to, I'm to live like that, I'm to think like that, and I'm to invest myself, whatever my particular position in the body is, my mentality is to be what is best for the church of God, what will grow and edify the people of God the body of Christ. Secondly, not only am I to be focused on the good of the church, I'm to be focused on the glory of Christ. That's the next verse in the text, verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. It develops the thought more fully. First of all, Paul said, most everyone I know seem to be in it for what they can get out of it. In other words, it was all about what would further their own agenda, what would help their cause, what would promote their personality, whatever the case, it was their will rather than the will of God that they were living for, living by. He said, all men seek not the things which are Jesus Christ, but their own. Now, the context of this is that tremendous passage about the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then specifically, we're told that the, the, the way Jesus thinks is it's about self-emptying and total fixation on the will of the Father living to the point of death on the cross if that's what the Father wanted. John chapter 12, Jesus on the way to Calvary, those, those Greeks came asking for it. Remember that? They said to the, the famous statement, Sirs, we would see Jesus. And when Jesus heard and knew what was going on, it reminded him of his assignment, his eternal assignment, the eternal Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, coming not only to draw lost Israel to the Father, but to draw the nations of the world to the Father. These Greeks came. We would see Jesus. And it reminded him of the cross. And Jesus said, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, I'll say this. Father, glorify thyself. And from heaven the Father said, I both have and will. Well, Jesus in his humanity gave us a glimpse into the right response for every believer in every situation. Father, what should I ask you now? Get me out of this hot spot, Father. Salve my wounds, Father. Remove the storm from my life. No, here's the thing, Father. Glorify thyself, whatever that means to me, whatever that involves in my life. Paul said, Timothy stands out, and men like this and women like this, believers like this should be held in high regard because literally Timothy is more concerned about the things of Christ than he is about himself, whatever it might cost me. Verse 21 reads like this in another translation. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. I wish it didn't have to be said, but the very word of God records that there are more professing Christians who are self-centered than Christ-centered. Paul said, I have no one like him. 
No one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And friend, I don't want to have a pessimistic note to my message tonight, but according to prophecy, it's going to get worse and not better. The Bible says in the last times, the last days, perilous times shall come. Men will be lovers of themselves. Now, this is, the, this is the church world's being spoken of. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having, how do I know it's the church world? Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. I mean, outwardly looking religious, but on the inside in love with self, more concerned about my own entertainment, my own comfort and convenience. God deliver me from the accusation of the verse I'm reading tonight, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Oh, God, I don't want that to be said of me. I don't want you to look at me and feel that way about me. Paul said, hold these men in reputation. What men? What about them is so notable? Well, they care most of all about the good of the church, and they care even more than that about the glory of Christ. It's the things of Jesus that matters to them. It's the heart of God that matters to them. And then one last thing, I'm to focus on the goal of consecration. I'm to focus on the good of the church, focus on the glory of Christ, and I'm to focus on the goal of consecration. Here's where I see that. Look at verse 30. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life. The attention is turned in the latter part of these verses to, to the other believer in the passage, Epaphroditus. And the thing that stands out first about this man is that he was a fully involved servant of the Lord Jesus. Paul said in verse 25, he was my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger. And the thing that's interesting is there's no evidence in Scripture that he was a preacher or a pastor. He was just a church member who was sent as a representative, an envoy, from the Philippian congregation to the Apostle Paul there where he was in prison. He came bearing a financial gift from the Philippian church to Paul. He's just a layman apparently coming on mission with a, with a package, a gift, a love offering to the man of God. I'll tell you, folk, it's time that more believers realize that whatever our place is in the body of Christ, we ought to consider ourselves full-time participants in the cause of the gospel. Full-time, not just the preacher in the pulpit or the staff members in the office, but every born-again believer should live from the perspective, I am 100% of the time, 24-7, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever I am, whatever he might give me to do. I remember hearing of the Chinese believer who was asked, the underground church member who was asked by a Western visitor to that underground church in China what his occupation was. And the brother said, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ and a minister of his gospel. And the man said, no, no, you don't understand. What I'm asking is, what do you do for a living here in China? How do you make a living? And he said, well, I'm a carpenter, a brick mason, whatever. In other words, his perspective was, I'll do what I have to to make a living, but what I am is a full-time servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. The goal of consecration, the most important occupation in all of our lives is to be a companion in labor and a fellow soldier in the cause of the Lord Jesus. Staying focused on the goal of true consecration means laboring in the field of souls. It makes me hear Jesus say, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'd send forth laborers into his vineyard. 
into his field. Fighting the good fight of faith. A fellow laborer. Paul said he is my companion in labor and a fellow soldier. A laborer in the field of souls and a a warrior fighting the good fight of faith, standing alongside the pastor and the staff and who, if I'm not called to preach, standing alongside those men and women of God that the Lord has placed in position and doing whatever God puts in my path for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice then, having said that about Epaphroditus, Notice this incredible statement, because for the work of Christ, I'll tell you this has spoken to me in this COVID-19 world. For the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. Which, now, I'm not, I have no ax to grind, and I'm not on a soapbox. But I couldn't help but think, as I drove up here, and the Spirit of God began to deal with me more and more about preaching on this passage, I couldn't help but think to myself, I wonder what Paul would think of us and our prudent way of doing church today. We're so prudent, right? Saving our lives at all costs. For the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. I wonder if there's going to be an American church left when all this is over. What do you think about that? What, what are you seeing happen in the church world? Here was a brother who said, I'd rather die than fail to do the will of God. My physical life means less to me than the cause of Christ. That's what Epaphroditus said. I just thought about Paul. I wondered, I thought to myself, how we duck and dodge and run and hide. And, and I, I thought, now what would Paul say? In prison, about the, the possibility of having his head cut off for the gospel. I don't know if I could fellowship with him much. I don't know what he'd think of me. I don't know. What would he think of me? What would Epaphroditus have to say to me? A brother who would rather die. There may well come a time in this country when a real stand for Jesus is going to cost us something. I mean, really, really stand. Maybe even our freedom. Maybe material possessions. Possibly our lives. You say it could never happen here. Of course it could happen here. We better ask ourselves some tough questions every once in a while. Am I committed to Christ to the point of death? Would I choose death before dishonor? Would I choose dying before disobeying? Revelation chapter 2, the Bible says, be faithful. The Lord Jesus said, I know where you are and I know what's going on. The devil is going to cast some of you into prison and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful unto death. There are worse things than dying for the Christian. I wonder how many multitudes of professing believers in our country would fold up our flag, our Christian flag, and slip quietly into the background if a serious price tag was attached to identifying with the true God and his true gospel. I know one thing. I know that the goal of real Christian consecration is to get me to the point that I'm willing to say I will endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It's to get me to the point that I'll be willing to say I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. I'm ready to depart. Henceforth, there's laid up for me. There is a war on, beloved, and this is a war zone. And sometimes the servants of God get hurt. 
And sometimes we get killed in the course of our duty. But always the banner of the gospel is to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Always the word of the gospel is to depart and to be with Christ is far better. Brother, it's not just a little bit better. It's far better. Always the Bible says to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Those believers who can only be found believing and obeying when the sun is shining and all is easy and pleasant will never experience the true joy of salvation if indeed they are saved. Because according to Jesus in Mark chapter 8, when he called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. Epaphroditus' life and service expressed what is to be the goal of consecration for every one of us who aspire to love Jesus more than we love ourselves. To reach the point where it can be said of us for the cause of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life. His life was incidental. The only thing that mattered was the cause of Christ. So here are the qualities of a Christian of whom Paul and the Holy Ghost said uh, they are to be honored and prized. A genuine concern for the well-being of God's church. A passionate desire to please Christ above self. And a full surrender to God regardless of the cost. I wonder, would it be too much to ask that each one of us take a moment to reflect if this text bears much resemblance to us. I wonder if reading this passage honestly, anyone would recognize me in it. Just reading these verses, if someone read a verse like verse 20, have no one like-minded who would genuinely care about your condition. And verse 21, everyone seems to be concerned about their own agendas rather than the things of Christ. Except this man, he's different, Timothy's different. Verse 25, a, a companion in labor and a fellow soldier. And then verse 30, for the work of Christ, he made his own survival secondary to fulfilling the will of God. For Reading those verses, would anybody think of me? I know one thing, when you find a Christian that you do think of when you read verses like that, the Bible says, Honor them and prize them highly, brother. They are a rare commodity. Yes, sir. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray, God, you'd use your word tonight to craft in us, to create in us such a hunger and thirst for righteousness that, that your will and your glory and your cause and your church mean more to us than our own survival and certainly more than our own petty egos and our own agendas. Speak to us personally now in Jesus' name. Amen.